Hello, hello, everybody. How are you? This is Danya. This is Brian, and welcome to Genealogy Adventures. Yes, welcome, welcome. So today, we're going to be talking about citations. Brian, you want to tell them about it? I certainly will. And for the, all of those of you who, like me this morning, had to dig out from some snow, you got my commiseration. So hopefully you've got a nice warm cup of your favorite beverage. And like I said, just so happy to see you with this on Sunday. So as Donia said, we're talking about citations. We're talking about sources and why they're so important. So basically, source citations are a way of recording where you found each piece of information that you've placed on an ancestor's page on whatever online platform you prefer to use to build your family tree. And the reason why we actually add citations is so that you or anyone um, can basically be able to go back to the original document that you used that you attached to an ancestor. And one thing that Donnie and I really, really want you to take away from today is the most important thing when it comes to citations is to just do them. In the beginning, it doesn't even matter if you get the format 100% correct. Really, the takeaway from this one is getting into the habit of documenting each piece of information that you're adding to an ancestor's page. So that could be their name, year or date of birth, date of death, when they got married, who they got married to, and all of their children. Any individual in your family tree should have records, or that we try our best to make sure that we have records that we can attach to verify each one of those kind of key pieces of information. Um, so with saying that, uh, what are some of the things that a good source citation will tell you? Citations basically answer five questions. Who, what, why, where, and when. We should always strive especially in terms of genealogy best practice, to be able to answer any one of those questions. So when I'm saying who, who is this, what ancestor is the record that you're attaching referring to? The what is the specific kind of documentation, so whether it's a baptism record, a death record, a birth record, um, a deed, a will, whatever piece of, whatever the actual original document is, is answering the what. The when answers when the event took place and what, or when was that source, that document actually created. Also in terms of where, where is the source physically located? So if it's online, did you find it on Ancestry? If it was a family history center, what family history center? And also, where is the repository located? And as a repository, we're talking about things like it could be Family Search, Ancestry, uh, the Library of Virginia Online, North Carolina State Archives, Virginia State Archives. Those are also part of the, the, the where. Um, also, you should always strive to put where you found the record and when you found the record. It's called access <clears throat> an access date. So basically that lets people, other researchers know that as of X date, a birth record existed and you found that birth record in a specific place. And in terms of answering the question why, the why is why we feel those records are important. Why we feel as though the records that we're using kind of either 
prove something about an ancestor or proves a hypothesis about an ancestor. Um, want to jump in on that one, Tanya? Anything you wanted to add? No, you actually have it right on point. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you, 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 got, you got it right down pat as to whatever, so, you know, that we need. So the last bit of that, in terms of citing sources, citing sources achieves a couple of things. It documents your research. It lends credibility to your work. It supports whatever theories or assertions or proof statements that you're, that you're making to say that person X is descended from person Y or that person X is the parent of persons A, B, and C. So that's really important. Um, and it also shows the reliability of your sources because some sources are better than others and we're gonna be getting into a lot of that later on in the show. While I'm talking about really good records to use, Donnie, Donnie, you and I have chatted about this a lot of times, um, about certain records on ancestry that we avoid like the plague. Yes. Because basically, they're user-generated. These are yeah. records that are generated by other ancestry members. And you'll probably, if any of you are ancestry members, you're going to recognize the names of these, these kind of records. So records that we don't use, Millennium Files. Uh, there's a series of records called the Family Data Collection for Births and Deaths. Mm -hmm. Find a Grave. Also, U.S. and International Marriage Records. The reason why we avoid these records is because they don't provide citations. They don't tell us how they found, how they found that information, where they're getting that information from. It's just a record. It's a record that might have names and dates. Now, now, Brian, I want to, I, I do want to say this. I don't avoid find a grave as much. I avoid it because of the citations, but you have, I say you have to look at the find a grave because if they're looking at the actual stone, the headstone, then we know the information is, is good. Um, <laughs> Because the headstone is there. So find a grave is not that bad. But you actually didn't mention one that we don't look at anymore. You want to know which one that was? Which one is that? The DAR. Oh, yeah, that's true. And don't get me wrong, you guys. I work there. So we go through all that stuff. But the thing, the truth of the matter is the, the early days of those were just going by what people said. And that was it. There's no proof behind it. And as we do, as I work there now, you can go into the database and find out that there's a line that once was there that now has to be removed because there's no proof of it, of what it was that they were talking about. So sometimes those DAR records, Sons of the American Revolution records, daughters records that they have that's on Ancestry.com, you you need to you need to you need to have proof of what they have. My suggestion is to take those records, get their information, but then prove it. That's what you have to do when it comes to that. See, this is why Donnie, this is why we make team because Donnie actually beat me to it. Even though we will never attach these records to our ancestors or ancestral kin in our trees, what we do do is use them as clues. Yeah. So if I see if I see like an, a U.S. international marriage record saying that a George Holloway married a, a Martha Matthews, I'll write it down 
and I will actually do my research to make sure that there really was a George Holloway and there really and was a Martha mm-hmm. Matthews and then find out if they actually married each other. Right. And, and I'm going to just say from my own personal experience that when, um, when it comes to certain, the records that I just listed, it's 50-50. And it was a learning curve for me because when I first started in Ancestry, I thought that these were pre-vetted records. I thought that those, that they were official records because they look like official records. Mm-hmm. And I think it was about two years when I was into actually doing genealogy properly, doing it for the first time, that I realized that these records aren't vetted. They are not, you know, if you were to apply to the Sons of the American Revolution or the Daughter of American Revolution, you couldn't use the U.S. or international marriage record. You cannot. That's right. They have a listing. They have an entire listing as to what what things that they use as proof. And those cannot be done because of citations. But you know what we didn't do, Brian? We didn't say hello to everybody and who that where they were from. You want to go into that real quick? <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We just jumped right in. So um, Karen is here from Denmark. Hello, Karen. And then uh, we have... Deborah from Chicago. How you doing, Deborah? And um, Mary Wright from Maryland. And our cousin Martha Marshall Taylor from South Carolina. I'm so excited. Sharon Noble, she's from ATL. Hey, hey, how you doing? And then also um, Martha agreed as far as the DAO, what I was saying about the DAR and those those different um, and the colonial dames, yeah, that's another one. You you have to be mindful of which ones that that are good that you're looking at, and you you're gonna have to prove everything. Most of those types of records, it's like it's written or oral history. That's what it is. It's actually written oral history. So when you sit down with your your grandmother and you listen to what she has to say, and in most instances, you take it as gospel because, I mean, it's grandma. But the bottom line is, is that when you start doing the research, you might find out something that grandma said ain't entirely true or she didn't give you all of it. That's the same thing you have to do with those types of citations with those particular records. You have to prove them. You have to prove them right or wrong because otherwise they're just oral history written down. Absolutely. And there's also one set of records that I forgot to mention, and I can't remember the proper name for it, but it's the Netherlands Genealogical Index records that actually look a lot like the family data, data collection. Um, they, they look very, very similar. Um, but I forgive me, I can't remember the, the proper name for it, but it usually comes up in Ancestry as NL Family History. Again, good for a clue, but I would never actually add them to, um, to anyone in my tree. And actually part of the process of what I've been doing over the last year is going back to the oldest parts of my tree, the very first branches that I started building and stripping all of those records out of it. Because like I said, in the beginning, I thought that they were all that, you know, that they were genealogical <laughs> standards of proof, and they're not. Hey, Brian. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna ask the group to a- let me know if they can see us. Because as of right now, we've disappeared on my screen. Both oh. of us. And I don't oh, know I- why. So can oh, you see- guys- I see you. 
I don't see I me. Mean, and and neither one of us are up here for me. So can you guys tell me whether or not? Oh, no, I'm, we, looking, I'm looking at you on my phone. You're definitely there. I'm not. So I'm there. I'm gonna come back. Okay, I'm because I'm not there. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to get Brian to um, come off for a second, and then he's going to come back on. I don't know what's going on. Where I think we're in that technical difficulty area. Yeah. This is happening again. Do you see yourself, Brian? No, I just see you. I don't know. It's, it's happening again. Because neither one of us is up here for me. Well, I, I, you're, you're now, well, if you yeah, want to they're saying the same thing. They said they can see me, but they can't see you. Okay. Well, if you want to carry on, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come completely out and come back on again. Well, the thing is, is that I don't see me <laughs> at all. Um, but go ahead. We'll try that because everybody said they can see me. So I'm not worried about that. Yeah. Okay. And while Brian is logging all the way out, um, we're going to talk about certain places. We're going to talk about places that you can go when it comes to writing. And um, so when you're writing, you're like, for example, when I was writing my book, um, there were areas that I had to go that I was checking different grammar problems. So, for example, things like Grammarly or uh, what's the one that's on that everybody can do on Facebook? I can't remember that one. But these are places that you can uh, go and actually put yourself, put your work in, and talk about, and and it'll show you what what commas need to be added, what cite, what other things that you need to do, how to actually cite your stuff with as far as like books and where you get your information, how to write your index and things of that nature. So those are actually very good. Yeah, Brian, you're not showing up. I swear it's on my end. Do you guys see Brian now? Oh, there he is. <laughs> but I had to put you as solo. Oh, great. No, you're right there. There you are. But I'm not. But everybody said they could see me, so I ain't tripping. Yep. Okay. Well, no, I'm, I'm looking at my phone, and I can definitely see you. <laughs> okay. So, when we posted about this show, we included a link that talked about different ways of formatting citations, and I'm going to ha be happy to reshare that link with you at, at the end of the show. Because the brilliance of that link is it gives you a format structure for every single kind of record you could conceivably have to cite everything from websites to blogs to newspaper articles you name it it's in there it's a really really invaluable um really invaluable resource so in terms of gathering source info as you can imagine as i was talking about formatting different kinds of records require different methods of citing them if that makes sense so, for instance, books, you would want to include information about the title of the book that you're using, uh, the author, publisher, year that it was published, location that it was published, the edition, 
Um, the editions actually, you may not think that if there's much difference between a first, a second, or a third edition of a genealogy book can be huge. Because a lot of times these things are being updated. Donga's updating her book. Yep. With, um, with new information. <clears throat> so, you know, people, you know, because I actually have started to put source citations for, for everyone in my tree, people are like, well, I see you use the second edition of this book. Are you aware that there was a third or a fourth edition? We suggest that you take a look at that. So editions can be important. Where you found the book, so anyone else who's researching the same people can access that information for themselves. And whatever pertinent page numbers um, you were reading to get the information that you, that you added to your tree. Census records, the format would be slightly different. So the name of the census, so it would be like the 1870 U.S. federal census. Uh, the dwelling number that your ancestor or kin were living in. Household name, if there is one. City, and city or town. Uh, the county, the state microfilm number, because again, we always want to point back to the original, original source, uh, and the name of the holding repository. And by holding repository, it's, I mean something like Ancestry or Family Search or the Family, hist you know, the family History ser Service of the Church of Later-day Saints. All of those are big repositories. Uh, the URL, if it was a digital, digital thing that you found and the date that you accessed it so that people know that as of that date, that record, that bit of information, that book, that blog post was up, running and publicly available. Also, and again, staying with census records, the author of the original source, so for a census that would be like the US National Archives, they would be the author because they're the, they're the entity that created the US census records be slightly different for state censuses, but for the federal census, it would be the National Archives. So it's always important to distinguish between three things. The original record, self-explanatory, the index of the record, and again, I'm doing a lot of Virginia research at the moment, you know, so a lot of times I'll find an original marriage certificate, and then I'll find the indexed records. Basically, all that means is that, you know, the state of Virginia has made a complete index of all the marriage records that it has. Doesn't have as much information as the original. It'll have the name of the bride and the groom, and that's it. Whereas the original right. record might actually have the name of their parents, um, right. for instance. Yeah, that's the death of us for South Carolina. You know, and North Carolina is even better because their marriage records, you know, you had to have, they had to pay a bond. And it actually has the name of the person who paid the bond, which let's face it, it's a marriage. It's going to be a relation of either the bride or the groom in some way, shape or form. Right. Um, and again, that kind of information is on the original. It's not on the index. So it's always really important to distinguish between an original, an index or an abstract of the record. And an abstract is even a more condensed form than the index. And again, part and parcel of why we use citations as much as telling other people how we found information and where we found it, it actually helps us organize our information. Yes. And following on from our last show, when I can't remember who it was, but someone asked a really good question about how we organize our research materials. Do you remember that right. question? Yeah, I remember that. That kind of comes into play with, with what we're talking about today. 
So for instance, if, you, if most of your source material is digital, you will want to think of a way that you can give a unique reference number or unique qualifier to each one of your records. And then maybe on Excel, in an Excel spreadsheet, actually enter all of that information in. So you have to think about how your mind works, how you process information, and what's going to work quickly for you to be able to get a hold of get a hold of that information. Because again, Dong and I, we you know we just get I don't even know how many kind of queries we get every week now. We just, we just get so many queries from people. Yeah, he kind of plagued me with that one. It was like once my <laughs> it was like once my tree hit the nine thousand mark because I have like nine thousand people on my tree now, and these are all confirmed and and document confirmed by both DNA and documentation that are my family. So I have over nine thousand family members, and now that I've hit that mark, I get people asking me so much different stuff, and it's not that. I don't want to answer. It's just that I have 9,000 people on my tree and I have them there because I've been working. So it's not like it's not it's that I don't want to help. It's just that I've been doing all of this and obviously I still have more that I'm doing because it's like you guys know the more you add on your tree, the more information you, you end up having to find. You're like, okay, I got this. Now I need to find this. I got this. Now I need to find this. And it's, it's a constant battle, you know, with your family. I think we have one family and we can honestly say we probably reached a plateau for it, but it doesn't stop us. Because we still like, okay, but something may happen down the line. And every now and then we look at the next. With um, Hamad and and, and Loretta, they have they pretty much have it down pat. It's not much that you can tell them about it. Just like it's not much you can tell Brian and I about the Petersons and I want to say the Yale Devils, but that's a whole nother monster. So never mind. But yeah, those <laughs> you you gotta know how to organize those different things. Karen says she can't hear me. Can you hear me, Brian? You're cut. You're a little. You're starting to get a little bit choppy. And you just got choppy. Okay, they said my voice is going in and out. Uh... Okay. Well, hopefully, I'm coming through loud and clear. I just wanted to say one of the reasons why I organize my, my information this way is just in case someone's like, can you tell me where you found the marriage record of person A and person B? I can just okay, go into wait a minute. Brian, you're breaking up too. You're breaking, they just said you're breaking up too. Give me one second, guys. I'm gonna try something and just hold on, Brian, don't. Do 
sorry about this, guys. I don't know why every now and then it just sucks. So am I still coming through choppy as well? Oh, now we've frozen. Okay, I'm going to try this from my end, and I'm actually listening. Oh, okay. Apparently, I'm sounding fine, so I'm going to... We really apologize about this guy. For whatever reason, our service provider, BeLive, is um, having some technical glitches lately. So I'm going to carry on. So one of the reasons why I spend so much time... Actually, organizing my, organizing my source information is, as I said... Um, I have 100, over 120,000 people in my tree. So you can imagine just the, the sheer volume of records that I actually have. And again, I made the, the decision to do things digitally because I was going to say, you know, some, some people like to be old school, and I totally get it, where you, know, you will save paper copies of all the important documents that you've gathered during your research. And I would suggest doing the same thing. Um, each piece of paper should have its own little short reference code that makes complete sense to you. But somewhere you should have a, an index file or you can create a computer file where you list all of those um, reference numbers and what document and what ancestor they actually go to. But as I said, everyone works differently. Um, I know that the frustrating thing when you're a, a newbie or relatively new genealogist is kind of working out what's going to work best for you. Um, but as I said, you know, when, you know, you're working with a much smaller tree with a hundred or a couple of hundred people, you're obviously going to remember a lot more about individual records, but as your tree gets a lot larger, you're going to want to find ways to be able to get your hands on those really, really quickly. Mm -hmm. As I said, I get asked all the time, um, where I found records,
Okay, so at this point, I know I've hit you with a lot of information. Um, well, Donnie and I both hit you with a lot of information. At this point, does anyone have any any questions? Or if you want to talk about, how, also, if people would like to suggest ways that they've gone about kind of organizing their research. Um, so as I said, every genealogist will work in similar fashions, but a lot of us are quite different. And it's all about empowering you guys to try to go out there and do this. Because um, I'll say what I'll say, I say that to say something. Uh, one of the things that really, really frustrates me as a researcher, while I never ever copy information from other people's trees, I will look at trees just to get clues, you know, especially for brick wall ancestors, to get clues about what family they belong to. So I'll take a look at the names, I'll write them down, but the first thing that I do is I look to see what resources they've been using. And if I don't see, if all I see are other family trees, millennium records, US and international marriage records, that whole list of records that I told you that genealogy adventures never adds, um, it makes, again, it's, it goes towards credibility. It really, really makes me question how much research that person has actually done. You know, are they just the kind of person who's online looking to just build their tree with a couple of clicks, just taking bits and pieces from other people's family trees without doing their due diligence? Um, so it's always suspect. And as I said, if I, if I see a tree that's like that, that just has that lock, that just basically has no sources, no citation, I just immediately close it. Um, and try to continue on with try to continue on with my research. <clears throat> um, can you hear me? I can. A little a little bit choppy, but it's it's not it's not as bad as what it was. Oh, Martha Taylor just made a good comment. She's saying, I love the end notes in Our Ancestors, Our Stories uh, for Bailey, Bennett, Butler, Daly, Daly and Shepard. Um, rem remind me if I'm misremembering this, because I, I, I think it was Dolores Williams on her Facebook page. Because um, this topic about sources and citations came up in that group. And she was saying that while Ancestry didn't necessarily create citations in the proper format, a lot of the big geneal genealogy services will provide you with the citations that you need. Um, I hope I'm not missing. I'm so sorry, but this is kind of choppy. I don't know why.
I don't know if that's something that it depends on who the originator of that record was or or is actually because remember ancestry doesn't actually own these records they're licensing the rights to be able to provide these records to the public so it may so it um Karen does bring up a really good point it may take a little bit of due diligence, due diligence and research to see who the original record holder was or the creator was um and be able to look at look at their website for instance Um, but very, very good comment from um, from Karen. So again, a question that I have to the viewers is: I mean, how how do they actually see citations help helping their research? I would be interested in hearing from the audience about how they feel that their citations would help them in their research. How using. You know how how using citations would help their research. Um, I Um, supporting the point that one of the good things about using citations is being able to quickly and easily go back to, to, the, to the original records. Um, and again, part of my working practice, and the good thing about at least the genealogy adventures tree being a public tree, is people can click on pretty much any one of my ancestors or ancestral kin, you will see lineage books, which may or may not, you know, Lynch books, um, all the usual vital records, saved people, of deeds, wills, mentions, uh, free people of color. You know, it'll have the, their freedom registration, you know, freedom registration file for Native American ancestors. It'll have their Dawes records and their Eastern Cherokee applications. I suppose I really kind of bend over backwards. Um, especially for my enslaved ancestors who were mulattoes and identifying their white ancestors. Probably because I know that, well, one that, that's for me, uh, it makes it easier for me to go back to their records to be able to review and reflect and make sure that I've got the right records for the right people. Um, but as well for white DNA cousins who are gonna be very surprised seeing that they're related to, to people of color. And I want to have every single record that I have. It's almost like a scientific proof. It's almost like being Einstein working out that E equals MC squared. Um, you have a scientific method where you have to document each step 
so that any other scientist anywhere around the world can basically pick up your research and replicate it and come out with exactly the same result. A uh, perfect ancestor, that's the case in point, was Moses Williams. Uh, working with those deeds, working with those wills, following his life story from when he was born up to at least, well, we, we've covered two thirds of his life. Uh, we, you know, we know who enslaved the different people within the Williams family who enslaved him for the first two thirds of his life. To be able to go forwards in time, but more importantly, to be able to go backwards to prove our hypothesis that Daniel Williams II was Moses Williams' father. You know, and part of that was using DNA, doing DNA triangulation. Um, those aren't necessarily the easiest files to digitize and, and make available, but we have done what we could do. But more importantly, to be able to prove that Moses Williams was actually born in Daniel Williams' household, that that was the first person to enslave him, who happened to be his father, but that's where his life journey began. Um, so it's not like he was born in some other Williams household or anywhere else. We could say definitively he was born in this household. And really, for him to have William, that particular line of Williams markers, there's only a handful of people that it could be. Here's the deed. The first I'm still here because I can't hear you. Yeah, I'm still here. I can hear me. <laughs> I can hear me just fine. <clears throat> so, and again, that makes it easier for me to have conversations with my white Williams DNA cousins, because you know we can basically I can direct on the phone while I'm while I'm chatting with them I can direct them to his page on my site and it's like right, let's look at that seventeen six you know let's look at that seventeen seventy deed where his name first appears. And let's look at the next deed and the next deed and the next deed. And I can actually physically step them through each stage of his life for the first two thirds of his life. And they get a, they get a okay, much- Okay, as long as you guys can hear him, I'm good. I, I can't. Am I still um, choppy? Sorry, they end up getting a much better, um, much better idea of my thinking and the kind of route that I took to get from proving point A to proving point B to proving point C, and then trying to get, you know, working with them to figure out what other enslaved people mentioned on those really, really early deeds where his name appears to try to figure out who his, who his mother might have been, who might have been his brothers and sisters, because we know that they're there. We know that his mother is in one of those deeds. The likelihood is, you know, we know our family. Our family didn't just have one kid. Trust me, I wish there were, there were days I wish they only had one child. So we know that Moses is bound to have brothers and sisters. They're gonna be on those deeds. Um, and part of the hook is just getting people really interested in, in wanting to research this. Um, and again, hopefully, you know, reaching out, um, getting uh, questions and inquiring from other Williams family members who may or may not have the, the missing pieces of the puzzle, like estate inventories, which are, which are quite important. But as I said, the, the important thing is I have the citations up there for people to see. I've got the records up there for people to see so they can evaluate. Um, you, notice, you may have noticed I hesitated when I mentioned something about lineage books because not all lineage books are correct. Um, I have to give my hat off to them. I'd do it literally if I could. 
Um, it still blows my mind that people who were writing these lineage books in like the 1880s, 1890s, up to the 1920s and 30s, who didn't, I mean, there was no internet. Um, there wasn't really easy, even an, an easy way of national transportation. A lot of these people were just writing letters off to distant relations saying, yeah, tell me about your family. Who was your, you know, how does your line connect back to my line? And they compiled these lineage books. So like anything, as we've said it many, many times, naming conventions can be brilliant and possibly identifying lines that your ancestors came from, but they can equally be the bane of your existence. I have as many George Holloways mm. between 1715 and 1735 as there are grains of sand on a beach. Trying to distinguish between them is a nightmare. And that's me having plenty of access to loads of repositories all over the internet. Um, so I'm trying to think about what it would be like to be a you know, antiquarian, historian, family genealogist at the, you know, the turn of the 20th century, trying to do this from scratch. I can see where they would get confused between one George Holloway and another. I can see where they could either conflate them, merge them into one individual, get confused about which George married which Mary and all that kind of stuff. It's a nightmare. They have my absolute admiration. But the fact is some of these lineage books have mistakes. And because I clearly put where I'm getting my information from, I've had cousins reach out to say, yeah, that book, I'd be wary about using that book because it has a lot of errors. Uh, there's a book that a lot of our South Carolina family uses for the, for the Suttles family. Parts of it are correct, parts of it aren't. I didn't know that when I first started using the book. Um, unfortunately, there's enough errors in there where I had to completely delete all of my subtles and just start from scratch, but not using that book. Um, but because, I, because other researchers saw that I was using it, they just sent me a message and I really, really appreciate that they did it going, yeah, that's perhaps not the best book to use to, to research that family. There are other books. Um, if you suspect, for instance, that your ancestors may have had Native American ancestry, there's a series of books called the Shawnee Heritage um, books. I think it's a series of nine or 10 of them. Um, and there's a lot of debate about these books, whether they're works of fiction, whether they're accurate. All I can say is, I kind of treat that book like I treat Millennium Files. I use it as a source of clues to do much more further, much more in-depth research. But I wasn't aware that there was issues around that book until a couple of people reached out to me on Ancestry to say, yeah, we've noticed that you, you were using that series of books to research your, your West ancestors coming out of Virginia who were Indian traders and then became part of Native American tribes. So for this group of people, that book is fine, but for this individual, mm, I wouldn't. They're, they're, you know, they're honest about it. They, they said that there were questions about it. So when we put citations and sources up there, as much as it is to kind of prove our steps, our thought processes, and kind of the information that we're using to make assertions, we have to be open to people get, coming back with their input going, well, I use the same book I've come to a different conclusion. I use the same book. I found a mistake. I use the same book. 
their errors in it, or yep, yeah, you know, got the same book, and that for that group of people, the information is good to go. Because um, again, genealogy, it's, I don't know if I would say genealogy is more of an art or a science, or an art trying to be a science. Um, but wherever you have lots of people involved in the process, um, mistakes are gonna happen. Um, so I know that my, you know, while I endeavor to make my tree as accurate as possible, which is why I'm so transparent about where I'm getting the information that I've put in there. On the flip side, I want it to be as accurate as possible. So if there's a mistake in there, I appreciate it when people reach out to say, yep, I see how you got from A to B, but there's a record that you're not aware of or hasn't been digitized or I will send to you. Um, that's going to clear all of that up for you. Um, again, it's just a really, really good way of initiating those kind of genealogical research questions with other people who are researching the same family, which while I appreciate not everyone feels comfortable having their trees public, by having your tree public uh, and putting your sources and citations in there can actually improve the strength, the overall strength of your tree. So I didn't know if you wanted to jump in there, Donna. Oh, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Did you want to jump in? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if Tanya can hear me. Okay. Oh, sorry. She's muted. She's muted her screen. <clears throat> okay, so at this point, any questions? Or, you know, if, if anything's unclear. Okay. No. Or if does anyone have any interesting <clears throat> stories about um, things that they found through using citations or, you know, have discussing certain citations within, you know, within other people that are researching your ancestors. Sorry, I better put my I better put my my tablet in a better position so I can see questions. <laughs> oh, actually, Donnie, if you don't mind, can you post a link to um? Oh no, I'll I'll do it at the I'll do it at the end of the show. Um, is the link for Bib? Is that up there? Because one thing that Donnie and I wanted to talk about quickly was. If you're uncomfortable about drafting or, or doing citations from scratch, there are some wonderful free services out there that will actually format them for you. One is called Bib. Um, and if the link isn't up there already, we will put the link up there at the end of the show. There's also Grammarly. Uh, Grammarly will also step um, kind of give you a, an online template um, that prompts you for the information that you need for a citation. So while both Grammarly and Bib have paid versions, there is also a free version. And you can do the citations using, using the free version. Um, and really, I was going to leave the, the last couple of minutes in case uh, anyone, anyone had any questions. Um, and again, I should we just apologize for the, the technical problems we've been we've been having over the last couple of broadcasts. It's 
a bee live thing um, that we that we will be looking into. Um, oh, okay, here we go, Karen. Oh yes, thank you, Karen. Oh, thank God, you actually prompted me for the the thing that Donia was going to actually discuss, right? Using other people's images, big bone of contention, huge bone of contention online um, for a very, very good reason. If someone posts an image, even if it's your seven times great grandparents and it, they are genuinely your seven times great grandparents, if someone else has posted their photo, you don't own the copyright to that image and you'd actually don't have permission to use it. It is always best practice to contact the person who has provided that image to ask if it's okay to put that to put that image or those pictures on your on your common ancestors page on, on your tree. Um, not doing that can cause all manner of bad feelings. Um, and when you actually add that that image or that photo to your tree, Always make sure that you cite the name of the person that gave you the permission to use it. It's, it's just common courtesy. Um, I know that there have been times that Dong has been upset that people have gone into her tree and downloaded images of, of her ancestors. Um, as a matter of fact, I think there was a case last year or the year before where someone actually downloaded a photograph from Don, one of Dong's ancestors, put it on their tree, but put it with the wrong person. So again, something like that's going to cause all kinds of upset. Um, I was feeling some kind of way because I was doing, you know, I was actually mocking up deeds, um, sales deeds that mentioned Moses Williams. And that took a lot of time. That took a lot of time and it took a lot of effort because there were a lot of deeds to go through. And while I was happy to make those public so people could see them, people were downloading them and they weren't crediting genealogy adventures <laughs> at all um, for the hours and hours and hours of work that actually went into creating those. So yeah, I was feeling some kind of way about that. And it's one of the reasons why we ended up making the William Moses tree private. Um, Cause I was just getting angrier and angrier. People were passing off our work as their work, all that kind of stuff. Never do that by the way. If you find out something from someone else's tree, never pass off someone else's research as your own research. It's just, again, courtesy to credit someone else's hard work that we're all, that we're all kind of reaping the, the benefits from. Uh, but Karen, okay. Yes, well, I'm glad that I'm glad that pointer, I'm glad that pointer could help Karen. Um, Karen was just saying that she hadn't really thought about about citing it that way. Um, but again, it's think about it as a, as building a a research community, even as, if it's someone that you're just going to contact once for permission um, or using information that they've published. You may only ever contact them one time, but they will always think. They will have kind thoughts of you because again it, it, i guess it happens really really rarely when someone actually does reach out to say can i use this image 
I add this image to my tree, or oh my god, your research is amazing. Would you would you mind if would you mind if I use it? Um, and I guess it's the golden rule that I try to practice. I try to treat people the way that I would want to be treated. So I make sure that I try to credit people as much as I possibly humanly can, the way that I would hope that either myself or Donia, part of our research team, or anyone associated with genealogy adventures would be credited for their work. Um, Grace has a good point. They may not know who posted the photo. Oh, I wish, I wish your, I wish your, your, your voice was, your microphone was working because I'd love to get your input on that one, Donia. About someone, if um, you see an image and you're not sure who has, who has the rights to that image. Um, I would say at the top of my head, I would cite where I found that image. Because uh, it has to come, you had to have found it somewhere. So if it was a blog, I would cite the blog. Um, I also shoot them an email if they have one, because I appreciate that not all, not all blogs do. I would make every kind of an attempt to contact them to, um, to get permission, and I would actually save it. I would have a little special email folder called permissions, and I would shove all of my e those permission request emails into that one folder so that if someone does get back to me down the line going, oi, why do you have a photo with my three times great grandmother? You know, on your web, on your blog, website, or on your tree, I can say I'm really, really sorry. Try to get in touch with you. I would copy the email, and you know, if they're contacting me through Ancestry, I'd shoot it back to them on on, on basically the the Ancestry messenger. Going, I'm really, really sorry. Made every reasonable attempt to contact you to get permission. If you want me to take it down, I'll take it down. Um, kind of a thing. Yes, she did. Tanya asked for permission for every single photograph she had in her book. And not only did she ask for permission, she has her permission form that everyone had, you know, it's a, it's a proper form. Once you sign it, you know, they, they agreed that Donya could use, use their images. Um, so again, that, that's another good practice. So yes, Karen Bertram, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for reminding me and prompting me about images. Because I, I, I honestly think that that is probably one of the biggest bugbears and the number one complaint that I see across all of the Facebook kind of um, family history, family research, genealogy groups going, I am so sick and tired of people just taking, you know, taking my records and taking, taking uh, images of the ancestors without, without asking permission. And I suspect that that's also, I'm not going to say the number one reason, but probably a big reason why a lot of people make their trees private. They just get tired of people just downloading stuff, um, not crediting them. Or the example that I gave for Donya, downloading an ancestor's photograph and then attaching them to completely the wrong person um, on their tree. Don, uh, Donia, uh, Brenda Kinsler has asked if you can post your um, permission form. So hopefully that's something that you can do. I guess if, even if you can make it into a JPEG um, would be brilliant. Yep. So Donnie is just saying she, you know, she had the, the signed document form. And especially as, you know, Donnie was writing a book, 
Um, and people can be a bit funny. Um, if she hadn't have done that, um, someone you know someone could have rightfully sued her for for using copyright for using copyrighted material without their permission. And that usually involves money. When people sue you, that involves money. Um, okay, so Donnie is going to post that for you. So I didn't realize that we were actually two minutes away from it being five o'clock. Um, so saying that, any other, any other kind of questions or observations, commentary, anyone struck, anyone tried to do citations in the past and like really, really struggled with it? Um, and I believe me, I appreciate that as genealogists, we already have so many things that we want to do and so many things that we need to do. And I know that this is yet another thing that we're saying that, that people need to do. Um, but it is really, really, really good practice. And as soon as you kind of work out the best way that you can actually work with citations and work with sources and kind of um, standardize them and become more confident using them, you, you will reap the benefit. I promise you, you definitely will reap the benefits. I'm just checking for last questions. So again, sorry today was a little bit choppy. Um, I really, really hope that you guys have. I'm not. Can I actually say that citations would actually inspire you? I hope that this is giving you a lot more confidence in using citations. I hope that a lot of you are going to, if you're not using citations already, will start to go back through your tree um, to add those add those citations. Um, and again, it just gets us. I guess one of the kind of offhand benefits of, of working with citations and records like this is it made me aware of just the sheer volume of records, different kinds of records that, that there are out there, which is a really good thing. And here we go, got some, got some links coming through to you. So if there are no further questions, thank you for bearing with us. Again, I, I really, really do hope that this is kind of giving you the confidence to, well, especially this is all new to you. This is gonna be taking you out of your comfort zone. And I just really hope that this has kind of inspired you and giving you a lot more confidence to go out there and start working with sources. So if you bear with me for just a moment. Sorry, I actually had this to hand. Oh, because I think you were going to talk about the next show. <laughs> That's why I don't have it to hand. Um, right, well, we're going to post about, so again, next show, two weeks, um, the week after next. Sunday, 4 p.m. Um, and oh, thank you, thank you, Martha. thank you very much for that. 
Okay, so again, on a miserable weather weekend that is kind of belted for the entirety of this country, thank you for sharing your Sunday with us. And we'll see you week after next, so take care. Um, I'm going to say goodbye on the behalf of Dania, um, although I'm sure she's probably typing her goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye uh, for me. And again, see you week after next. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.